0: There was this uh, public school teacher, and he, he had children in his class from all different religions. So he was doing a unit on uh, world religion, so he, he was asking does anybody have any religious objects, holy objects, in your home? So one of the little kids raises his hand, he says, yeah, we have this um, in our house this uh, picture of this uh, this woman and my mother she lights a little candle in front of it and she whispers something and that's our that's our holy object he says oh it's very good yeah it sounds uh, that's uh, sounds like you're Catholic yeah does anyone else have any holy objects so this little kid says yeah uh, we have this little gold statue of this uh, very uh, fat man, and my uh, my parents light incense in front of it, and they, they whisper some words in front of it, and that's our, our holy object. He says, oh, oh, sounds like you're Buddhist. And uh, another little kid says, yeah, uh, we, have a, we have a holy object in our house. He says, oh, what is it? He says, um, it's in the bathroom, it's this little flat mat, which has numbers on it and that's uh it's a holy object so the teacher says why do you say it's a holy object he says i don't know my mother goes in there she stands on it she says oh god okay half the people cracking up Half the people like what you're cracking up yeah okay fine anyways little idolatry joke never hurt. You know, by the way, that's the only thing you're allowed to make jokes about, says in Gemara, that the only thing you're really allowed to scoff at is uh, idol worship. Okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit about about idolatry. Why? Because in this week's Haftorah, we are now in the three weeks. And we have, these, these are three weeks of national mourning between the 17th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av. And uh, in addition to the different practices of mourning that are observed during this time, there, or part, as part of the, the, the mourning that's observed during this time, there are three special haftoras. The, they are called the Tlosa de Puranusa, the three haftoras of tribulation or of turmoil, problems. And they are haftoras which generally include Negative or foreboding or ominous prophecies. One of the prophecies, or one of the things that the prophet says in this haftarah this week, which is the uh, the second of the three weeks, is a rebuke against the people's idol worship, specifically against their deification of objects of material objects so the navi says the prophet says Aimrim. he says to the jewish people look what you do they say meaning the idol worshippers among you "Lo eights to a hunk of wood and eights means wood ovi ata you are my father voila evan and they say to the stone At, you, speaking to the stone, second person, Yelida tonu gave birth to us, like you're our mother. What does this mean? That the idol worshippers were saying, to a piece of wood you're my father, and to a stone you are my mother. This is so unrelatable. This, is, this, is, this does not sound like a problem that many of us struggle with. Not only do we not struggle with it, it it's hard to even put ourselves in that place and see why it's a struggle. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand the, the source of idolatry. We have to understand idolatry from a more um, philosophical point of view. You know, we spoke last week, and uh, if anyone wasn't here, you could watch the class on soulwords.org. You go to Parsha and watch the class on Pinchas. So last week, we spoke about materialism. We spoke about the reductionist view that everything in the world can be reduced to matter. And... Uh, that there basically is just this one plane of existence to the exclusion of of spiritual reality. (laughs) Um, Remember the story that I told last week? I told a bunch of stories, but one of the stories I said was about the Friede Kerebe, about the previous Labavitch Kerebe, that when he was being interrogated, in Russia, and the communists were trying to break him, so they pulled out a gun, they brandished the weapon, they tried to intimidate him, and they said, this little toy has been known to make people talk. So the the Friedrich Rebbe said, this little toy is effective on those who have, remember this, yes. one world and yes. many gods, but I have two worlds. two worlds and one god, very good. So last week we spoke a lot about what it means to have two worlds, that the Fede was saying not just, hey, don't worry, if you kill me in this world, I'll go to heaven, I'll go to the afterlife. The God was saying more than that. He was saying that even at this moment, things are not what they appear from a purely physical perspective because I'm in two worlds right now. Right now I'm in two worlds. There's a, there's a deeper reality that's going on. So we explained what it means, I, I'm living in two worlds. We didn't really explain the other part, what, and we explained what it meant that the Friedrich Rebbe was saying that these materialists, these communists who are dialectical materialists, are living in one world. But what, is, what does it mean that the Friedrich Rebbe said that this, this toy is effective on those who have one world and many gods? What are the many gods? We didn't really speak about that last week. What does it mean, many gods? So here's the thing. I think the word gods, first of all, is is... Giving us trouble. <laughs> so let's instead of uh, instead of the word God, so let's just the, use the word power. Let's use the word power. Materialist lives in a world where there are many different powers. Now, in the pagan world, they had names for them for these powers. They 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 referred to them. As various deities. Again, that's not so relatable to us. But in the modern world, we also have a notion of, of various different powers. You ask a simple person, what are the powers in the world? Maybe they'll tell you, you know, natural powers like uh, the wind or, 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 or the sun or maybe someone who's a little bit more poetically inclined, they might say, love is a power, or maybe even they'll say, you know, uh, greed, human greed is a a power. Um, Someone who's more scientifically inclined, they might say something like, well, we've reduced it to certain basic powers like electromagnetism and the nuclear, the weak nuclear force and the strong nuclear force. There are different ways that intelligent people today will describe the powers that are in the world. But they'll all tell you a number of powers. They'll all tell you that there are a number of powers. Now, there's something called the Unified Theory of Everything, which is a model that does not yet exist. And it's basically consensus that whoever will come up with a viable model for the Unified Theory of Everything will be considered the greatest mind Whoever lived. Einstein was in search of this, of the, I think he called it the unified field theory, where he could take all the different powers, all the different forces, and, and reduce it to one formula that would, that would address all of it at, at once. And, and no one found it yet, but that's basically what science is in search of. This unified theory of everything that puts together all the different theories in one simple and elegant theory. The point is that the predominant worldview today and the accepted worldview and the quote-unquote normal worldview is one in which there are various powers. So when the Fiddicarebbe was saying to this uh, interrogator that this toy works on people who have one world and many gods, what are the many gods? The many gods mean that you're, you're, you're living in a world where there are various forces to contend with. And however a person interprets that, however they they, uh, translate that into their day-to-day life, the the forces that they feel that they have to deal with, whether it's uh, luck or fate or um, human nature or their own uh, experiences and upbringing, whatever their narrative is, there are these various forces that uh, that are at work in their in their in their narrative of their life or of the or of the macro of history itself it always comes down to these various forces in the world that are that are working upon us so obviously from a jewish perspective that is the essence of idolatry from a jewish perspective there are not various forces at work in the universe There is one force at work in the universe at all times. There is only one force at work in the universe. And everything else that we identify as forces are not in and of themselves forces or powers. Certainly, they are not autonomous. But even less than that, they are, not, they are not even, forgive the philosophy for a moment, they are not even ontologically independent, meaning they do not even, they do not even have their own existence, let alone their own volition. So whatever powers there are in the world, um, they do not act independently of God. In fact, they do not even exist independently of God. God is enlivening them and bringing them into existence something from absolute nothing at every single second. And as such, since these powers don't even have their own existence, they don't even exist independently, so obviously uh, they do not have any influence on us that cannot be attributed directly to the will of God. So if you boil it all down, there's one power, there's one force, there's one will, which is totally and constantly acting within the world, and that is the power of God. Okay, yeah? Are all of the things that we've mentioned, like, it's really God's power concealed the nature? Right. But they don't have power of their own, but it's just God concealed the nature? So, you know, we it's have the, power. We have the divine God. name Hashem, we have the divine name Elohim. right? So Elohim is the name of concealment. That's why the gematria, the numerical value of Elohim is 86, which is Ha Teva, which is the nature. That means that Hashem hides himself in nature. So, what does it mean Hashem hides himself in nature? It means that when Hashem acts upon the creation, he garbs himself within these forces. But not that these forces have their own will or volition and are choosing how to act. You know, it's like my hand, for instance. If I send forth my hand yeah. to get the coffee. My hand is completely subservient to me. It has no will of its own. It only does what, my, what the will of my brain wants it to do, right? So th- it's, it's sort of like that. Of course, th- there's such a thing as a hand, just like there's such a thing as electromagnetic fields, right? There are powers in the world. But don't think that those powers act autonomously. And not only do they not act autonomously, again, sorry to be philosophical for a moment, but they do not even exist autonomously. They don't have their own existence. They're being constantly recreated something from nothing. Would you say it's God's manifestation of himself in nature? Correct. Everything is a manifestation of God. That is right. That is right. So everything is a manifestation of God. Now, the word that we have in the Holy Tongue to describe being able to see The underlying oneness within the plurality, within seeming plurality, is shalom. Shalom means peace, but also means reconciliation. If you never have a uh, conflict, then you can't have a peacemaking. The conflict is the conceptual conflict, where it appears that the world is fragmented. It appears that there are... Different forces at work, that there is a plurality. And then you look deeper and you realize that the nature of these forces is that not only do they not act independently, they do not even exist independently, and therefore behind it all, there's one. And that's called Shalim. Shalim is the reconciliation of the false model that there are a plurality of forces in the world, and you realize that there's only one. There's one. Okay. Now, it's interesting. There's a, there's a line from the Rambam where the Rambam actually says the entire purpose of Torah is to bring about this shalim, to bring about this peace or this reconciliation. Godel Hashalim. This is from, uh, from the end of Hilchas Hanukkah. Great is peace because the entire Torah was given in order to make peace in the world. Why in the world? Because the world is the place where it appears to be a plurality, right? Like it says, Like it its paths, the paths of Torah, are pleasant paths. The whole nisivah Shalim and all of its ways are peace. Peace here means reconciliation. It means finding a model within which we can reconcile the fact that we do observe a plurality of forces in the world, and yet we, we realize that at bottom there's only one. You see, there are L'Havdil, There are other worldviews that will say, well, the materialist worldview world will just say that there are many forces in the world. Then there are uh, religions that will say, well, the plurality is, a, is a, an illusion, really. The, the physical world and the phenomenological universe, meaning the world of, that you perceive with your senses, isn't even real. It's just completely, it's a, it's a dream, right? So what do we say? We say, no. The the, the Torah begins by testifying that Hashem did create a world. The world is real. It's not an illusion. And yet, simultaneously, there's nothing but Him. How do you reconcile? Right there is already plurality. There's a heaven and there's an earth, right? And then within the, the earth, you have so much more plurality. You have the water, you have the dry ground, you have all the different creatures. That remains true, and yet at the same time, in Ed Milvade, there's nothing but him. How do you reconcile? The way you reconcile is you realize that all of it is a manifestation, an extension of his true existence. And the ability to perceive that is called shaling. Okay. In in very practical terms, in emotional terms, day to day terms that we can relate to. What does that mean? It means that we go through our lives and we feel like there are different powers that have sway over us that can affect us that can help us that can hurt us and we stop and we realize no it's not true there's only one power in my life and there's only one relationship that i have to worry about and that's hashem that perspective is called shaling when you realize that no being in this universe can help you or hurt you except as an instrument of God according to God's choosing in God's will, that is called shalim. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a, a, a story about a person who had a moment of shalim, of reconciliation in this precise manner. I used to give a class, a Tanya class, many, many years ago. This this has to be maybe twenty years ago now. It was uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I was for many years, and this Tanya class consisted of basically it was all women who ha- were 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 not observant and had not studied very much uh, in it. In, in, in their past. They hadn't studied a lot of Jewish women, they hadn't studied a lot. And I, I'm telling you this for a reason, because as we studied, not that it was my objective to bring up practical halacha all the time, but it just, you know, it sort of happens from, from time to time. Um, one of the, it was, it was a tanya class, so we were studying I mean, what was the subject? Your nefesh al your you know, your godly soul, your animal soul, and learning how to... I mean, that's really the focus, is learning how to listen to your godly soul and to uh, not allow the animal soul to, to run riot. <laughs> so... At some point, the idea of lighting Shabbos candles came up. And one of the women said she wants to start lighting Shabbos candles on time. I think she had lit before, just not regularly and, and certainly not on time. That wasn't a concept, uh, you know, lighting it, you know, exactly the time that it says on the luach. She, she, she didn't come from that kind of background. But we started uh, talking about it and she got excited about it. Now, when did she get excited about it? I think it was like this time of year, June, July. So it's pretty easy because candle lighting time is 7, 8, whatever. Um, and I remember at the time, one of the women in the class said, yeah, it's easy now, but in the winter, candlelight is going to be at like 4 PM. What are you going to do? You're going to have to run home from work. It's going to be really difficult. So she says, you know what? I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it when I, when it, when the time comes. So she was doing really, really well. And she had a streak of, uh, you know, a good three, four months. And it was, I think it was October. It was like right after the high holidays, if I remember correctly. And we're in class. And she comes in, and she's like really, really proud. You could, t- you could tell. She's like beaming with pride. And she says, I have a story. I want to share a story and experience that happened to me over the weekend. Okay, go ahead. She wants to tell everyone. So she says, um, this was the first week where candle lighting time was before 5 p.m. I think it was like 4.55. So she says, I got all prepared for it, and I knew I was going to have to leave work early and all that stuff. Okay. This was a big deal for her. And as I'm driving home, I realize that I wrote a check today. Remember checks? Remember we used to have those pieces of paper? Remember? Okay. She says, I wrote a check today. And it's not covered. It's not covered in the bank. And I have another account where I can write a check and deposit it into the account where I made an overdraft. And if I don't do it, the check's probably going to bounce. In all likelihood, it'll bounce. And I'm looking at the clock, and I realized, I'm thinking to myself, hold on. do do I have time for this? No, I I, I do not have time for this. I have to go light. On the other hand, what do you mean I have to go light? If I'm not going to go to the bank, I'm not going to cover the check. The check's going to bounce. My husband's going to be annoyed. The bank's going to charge me an overdraft fee. So she says, I I, I had this sense of conflict. What do I do? Because I can only do one. I I only have to, the bank closes at five, right? It's not possible to do both. And by the way, I want to just point out here, she was not Shabbos observant yet. She wasn't Shabbos observant. If the bank would have been open till 6, this would not have been a problem. Because I'm telling you, she would have gone home, she would have lit on time, and then gone back out to the bank and made the deposit. She was not Shabbos observant. The whole reason it was a conflict is because the bank closed at 5, so if she didn't go to the bank before 5, she wouldn't be able to make the deposit. But if she did go to the bank before 5, then she knew she'd be coming home and it would be after the time of candle lighting. And although she wasn't Shabbos observant yet, she had taken it upon herself she wouldn't light after Shabbos began. That that part of Shabbos she was keeping because she she'd taken upon lighting on time. So she had this conflict, oh, the hmm? oh, the I- including the eighteen minutes. So going to the ba- yeah, this <laughs> all includes the 18- oh, eighteen. 18- <laughs> it's all about <laughs> the eighteen. 18- <laughs> you live with the eighteen minutes. Okay. Now even with the eighteen minutes, she couldn't do both. Anyways, you have to be from for many years to know how to do that. <laughs> to know how to get to the bank and back between the, the 18 minutes in Skia. That's like, you know, expert orthodox mode. Anyways, Baruch Hashem, she didn't want to play it so close. She looked at the clock. She realized it's not going to happen. Like, she's got to pick one. So she says, if I don't deposit it, there's a lot of other stuff that's going to go wrong. First of all, my husband's going to be annoyed. Second of all, I'm going to be annoyed. Third of all, the bank's going to charge me money. I don't want to pay that money. I don't have that money. I'm not a wealthy person. And it seems like there's a lot more reasons to go to the bank than to go light Shabbos candles on time. She says, but then I started thinking, hold on a second, that's not the right way to think about it. I started thinking Tanya. Hold on, Tanya. Tanya is about godly soul, animal soul. What does my godly soul want? My godly soul wants, no question, go go light Shabbos candles on time. What does my animal soul want? My animal soul is the ego, and it's very nervous. It doesn't want my husband to be annoyed. It doesn't want to pay money to the bank for no reason. It doesn't want to be embarrassed. It doesn't want to feel that it's lacking control over this situation. So I, my animal soul for sure wants me to go make the bank deposit. What am I going to do? Godly soul or animal soul? Godly soul or animal soul? Godly soul. And she went home, and she lit on time. She was very, very proud of this. <sighs> That is shulling. That is, to me, that's like the archetypical example of shulling. Because what it is, is a story of somebody who thought she was dealing with all these different powers, all these different issues, all these different reasons why a certain plan of action made sense. And then she said, hold on a second. No. I only have to deal with one thing. This this situation is a lot simpler than I'm making it. I only have one factor that I have to consider. What what is the way to be right with Hashem? You know, there's a uh, a back in uh, Lubavitch, Greinim, who's called Greinim. So Greinim used to say a mashal, used to say a parable. The one time, this guy sees his friend in shul. He says, "You look down. What's wrong?" He says, "Oy I have so many problems." He says, "Tell me about your problems." He says, oh, you know I, I I have all these all this debt, I mean debt, I'm, i I barely can put food on the table now my my daughter got engaged. I have to make a Hasana uh, th- th- then I have to set them up with an apartment. I I, I I don't I have so much on my plate. I don't know what to do. So the friend says, "Let me ask you a question. How much money would it take to?" deal with all of this he says all of it i mean he starts thinking about the debt he starts thinking about what he's got to what he's got to spend every month for his family he's thinking about the wedding he thinks about setting up the new house kala with the with an apartment he says the whole thing i mean what would take care of everything he says 500 ruble so the friend says so you don't have a whole bunch of problems you have one problem where are you going to get 500 ruble? <laughs> That's it's very simple. You have one problem. Where are you going to get 500 ruble? So Graham used to say like this, life's not as complicated as we make it. We think we have a bunch of problems. We don't have a bunch of problems. We have one problem. We have one issue. We have one factor that we need to consider, and that is being right with Hashem. So that is the idea of Shalom. Shalom is that we look in the world and we think that there are all these different powers. Then there's not. There's one power. There's one relationship that we have to consider at all times. Okay. The, ending of the, story the check, her check bounced, that oh, is, okay. is the happy ending. Okay. I was thinking that Of course today, the check, right. you know what, this is my pet, pet peeve, the you down. know, the, oh, it, the, the, American Jews, <coughs> they want Hollywood endings to their stories. Why do we want Hollywood endings? The check bounced, that is the happy ending. Why did we all, oh, because she chose Shabbos, her check didn't bounce. Well, that's so corny, it, no, no, her check bounced. She, showed, she chose Shavas. It's a stronger story. What? It's a stronger story. 100% a stronger story if the check bounces. American Jews all want Hollywood endings to their stories. Makes me crazy. Okay, at any rate, of course the check bounced, and it was worth it. You know how much people would pay to go to a spiritual retreat so they could have that kind of clarity she had in that moment? They paid thousands of rich people, would paid tens of thousands of dollars to have a moment where life seemed that clear. So what did she pay? Forty bucks, you know, whatever the fees were, right? Okay. Anyway, it's interesting when the Rambam says that the entire purpose of Torah is shalom. Where does he say it? What is the context? In the context of Shabbos candles. The Rabbam says, If he has a situation, he has to choose between it's Hanukkah and it's Shabbos, and he has to light either the menorah or the Shabbos candles, or it's not Hanukkah, let's say he can either light Shabbos candles, or he can buy food for Kiddush, wine, and challah for Kiddush. The Shabbos, it's called Ner the, the the candle of the house is given precedence even before Hanukkah, even before Kiddush. Why? He gives an answer. Mishum Shalom Because of the peace of the house. Hashem Nimchok. Hashem's divine name is erased. To make peace between a husband and wife. So if we don't have that light on, the simple explanation, the very, very... Uh, Literal explanation is, if, if there's not going to be light in the house, Shabbos night, so the, the husband and wife are going to bump into each other, it's going, to cause, uh, it's going to cause discord. But at any rate, he says the purpose of the Shabbos candle is sholim. And that's why the Shabbos candle takes precedence over the Hanukkah menorah, even over kiddish on Shabbos, because the Shabbos candle brings about sholim, brings about peace. Now, in the Altar of the Shulchanoruch, the shochanorach Rav. In Simen, Samach Samech Gimel. Which is Dinim, laws, of Adlokas, Nadis Shabbos. Talking about the laws of lighting Shabbos candles. The al Rebbe tells us something very interesting. and It's similar to what the Rabbim says, but the Rabbim was saying it actually as an aside about Shabbos in the overall context of other halachas. Here is in the actual halachas of Shabbos, the, 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 the al Rebbe says... Tiknu chachamim, our sages established shi'el l'chol adam ne'er daleik b'Shabbes that every person should have a light on on Shabbos b'chol heider v'heider shahilich sham b'Shabbes in every room that he goes in on Shabbos. Why mishum Shalem bias? because of Shalin bias. It's similar to what the Rabbim says, because of Shalem bias, because of peace in the house. And then the Al-tarebe uses a very interesting turn of phrase: "Shalllo koshel so that you don't stumble, you don't trip. Beats a beeven on wood or stone." The Shabbos candle was enacted, so there's light on the house, so there should be shalom in the house, peace in the house. Shalai yekoshel, you won't stumble, be etz, oy bevan on tree or stone. What does this mean? On a literal level, it means you won't trip on wood and stone. On a deeper level, what's this turn of phrase, Eats idol worship from our half Torah. This is the wording that Yirmiyahu uses in his rebuke. This is exactly the word from our half Torah. So on a deeper level, this is a chiddush of the Rebbe, the Shalaya Kashobin to stumble also means conceptually to stumble, ideologically to stumble. You need to have the light of Shabbos. The light of Shabbos isn't just a material, physical light. It is. It is also. It is also. But also, it's what it symbolizes. And in fact, all Torah is called Torah Oyer. Neir mitzvah v'teirah Oyer, like shalem said. And the light creates what? Shalem. Peace. What is Shalem? Shalem is that there are not a diversity or a multiplicity of forces in the universe. There's one force. In the, in the universe, and then when you have that shalem, you will not stumble, you will not make the mistake that an eights or an Evan or any other power, any other created force in the universe has autonomy or influence or sway over you. So on a deeper level, what is this saying? It's saying that when we think That there are different things or people or organizations or countries or economies or laws of nature or whatever it is that can have a factor, can have an influence in our lives. We have to stop. We have to light a Shabbos candle proverbially and also literally light Shabbos candles, but also symbolically light a Shabbos candle, bring about Shalom, get that clarity, that light of Torah. Because the Torah was given, the Rabbam says, for the purposes of what? Why was the Torah given? For what purpose? To create shalom. Shalom means don't, don't get fooled anymore to think there are, 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 are a multiplicity of forces. Realize there's one force, and now you won't stumble on the eights or the Evan or any other individual power that you are idolizing, God forbid, right now, and believing has, has power over you. So this, this is our lesson. Our lesson is that we need to search out and adopt and apply the unified theory of everything. And that is the ultimate shalim. To realize that there's a world, God created a world, a, a vast and diverse world mode. Rabu And yet, there's one thing. There's one power. There's one factor that we have to consider. Mm-hmm. Nothing else.